If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 14. Our text verse is verse 13. Romans 14, verse 13. I'll give you a moment to get there. I'm very glad for God's Word tonight. Amen. Rick, you sang about the haven of rest. God is our haven of rest, but we've got to anchor in His Word, and uh, His Word is steadfast, and it never changes. Romans chapter 14, verse 13. Let us not, therefore, judge one another anymore. But judge this, rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Now, by the way, this is our text, <clears throat> and actually we're going to read it and depart from it, I guess. But we're kind of giving an overview of the entire chapter of Romans 14. And I want to, I want to begin tonight with a question. <clears throat> Excuse me. Do we have any judges here tonight? Now, I don't mean with a black robe sitting behind a, a desk with a gavel in your hand. But how many of us Christians have been guilty of judging? It's easy to fall prey to that. And Paul gives a direct command here not to judge one another anymore. Stop doing it, Paul says. He said the important thing to judge is this, that we never put a stumbling block, we never cause someone to stumble and fall in their faith. You know, Jesus said it would be better to have a millstone tied around our neck and cast into the depth of the sea, then cause one of these little ones to fall and stumble. How many know that our walk with God is precious? Now, I don't care who you are or how long you've been saved. If you're a new believer, I think about Ryan giving his life to Christ a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning service, or whether you've been saved for quite a long time. Satan is always out to devour you. He wants to hinder and destroy our walk with God. And we're talking about how to avoid, how to deal with a judgmental spirit. And I, I, I say tonight, and I include myself, it's a message we all need to hear. What does God say about that? I mentioned already we've been, this is our third week on this topic, and uh, whether you realize it or not, Christians will fight over deeply held beliefs. The sad thing is, sometimes, sometimes, and hear me well, we fight over things that don't really matter, that really make no difference at all. Having been saved as long as I have now, and I thank God for that, of some of the things I've learned, one thing I've learned is this, there are some things that are not worth the fight. It's not worth the fight. I have been through the years in debates with other people, with family members, and uh, most of the time I can win the debate, the argument, but a lot of times I walk away defeated because I wonder, did I really share the love of Christ or was I judgmental in what I was saying? 
So again, as I mentioned already a couple of times, we asked the question, is there ever a good reason uh, for a church battle? Are there things to fight for? The truth of the matter, yes, there is. If we are fighting for the truth of God's word, that battle is worth it. It is absolutely worth it. We must fight for the truth of God's word. If we're fighting for justice, it's worth the fight. If we're fighting for integrity. And so whenever we are battling for things that are right, that are biblically right, we know it's biblically right, those are things and the time to fight. So yes, some things are worth fighting for. But we're looking tonight again at the dangers of a judgmental spirit. And that we're talking about within the church. I'm not concerned with the world out there as far as that goes. But I'm concerned about what goes on in the church. But also remember, um, the awful things that can happen whenever we get engaged and we offer our own personal judgment on other believers, and hear me, hear, hear what I'm saying, who do not meet our personal standards. Let that sink in. Don't care who you are, unless I miss my guess, everyone has a list of personal standards. Isn't that true? And I would guarantee, even in this small gathering tonight, if we were to pass out a, a piece of paper and say, give me the top ten personal standards that you have, I doubt that any list would be in agreement. And yet we fight over those things. But we have to be very careful of bringing judgment in those things in our life. It's important to remember, and we talked about this, this has been an age-old problem. Uh, a couple of weeks ago we talked about back in Moses' time, there was division there over jealousy. When Christ was here on earth, it happened there. And the truth of the matter, this has been going on in the church for almost over 2,000 years. And also, if you read the New Testament, it's very clear that it's, they struggled then. Uh, they had difficult, uh, difficulty in accepting new or different people uh, into their assemblies, into their worship times. Uh, you remember the vision God gave to Peter of the sheep been dropping down three different times. And God says, arise and eat. Peter said, not me. Uh-uh. I never eat that. Never touch that. And God said, Peter, don't you ever, don't you ever refuse anything I call clean. Now, how many know God had a reason for that? Because God's getting ready to send Peter to the Gentiles, to Cornelius' house. And God prepared his heart to allow them to be a part of the family of God. So that was a struggle, even in the New Testament. Christianity was new, and for the most part, well, it was new, uh, different than Judaism. And God had opened a new door. The wall of partition had been torn down, and now all people could come to Christ through, come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So here in the book of Romans, Paul almost takes, I mean, takes almost two chapters to deal with the issue of a judgmental spirit. And in Romans 14, we find certainly a, a very vital principle here, a very vital truth about accepting other believers. Now, uh, Jeremy made me correct it last week. Uh, I think I put originally four different 
areas there was conflict. It actually five uh, immature believers, mature believers. And by the way, there will always be immature believers in the church, always. But the sad thing is this. For those who have walked with God for many years, if they're still bathed in Christ, something is wrong. They're not taking in the milk and the meat of the Word of God. But also there was a conflict between the Jew and the Gentile believers. We don't face that so much today. We're not in that culture, but there was a conflict there. Uh, there were some who said, you know, we don't eat meat. And some said, pass the bacon, okay? Uh, they would eat meat, and there was a conflict in that area. Some would observe special days, probably the Jews more likely, the different holy days, and others did not. And so there was a conflict there. And then the fifth thing, there was a controversy about uh, drinking wine. So it's evident there was a struggle going on, and uh, some were pointing fingers. Uh, some had decided they were better than others because of personal preferences, and maybe they didn't meet their personal preference, whatever it might have been, but it was causing struggle in the church. So that being said, in this chapter, Paul gives uh, three exhortations, and we covered a couple. I'm going to review them. Number one, we need to accept one another. Now think about that. You know why? Because God accepted me. And i got to tell you, folks, if God can accept me, he can accept you. If God can accept me, he can accept, accept anybody. So we need to accept one another. Now, again, we're not going to go back and read it, but the very first verse gives the entire theme for the chapter. And Paul says, receive him whose uh, faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Don't do that. Don't be argued. Don't do that. Just simply receive them. And the reason we receive them is in verse 3. Paul says, because God has received him. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. If God receives a person, what right do I have to reject them? I don't have that right. And neither do you. So the first exhortation, Paul says, accept one another because God has accepted us. Second of all, we talked about this last Sunday night, have your own convictions. And here's the key, folks. Jesus Christ is my Lord. You know what that means? You're not my Lord. And I'm not your Lord. I'm not your Lord. Jesus Christ is our Lord. In verse 5 of Romans 14, Paul says, Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. And then in verse 6, he says, Whatever you do, whatever they do, what they don't do, they observe it to the Lord. So in our own personal conscience and accountability to God, that's what matters. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. What matters is what God thinks. Now, by the way, the Bible is also clear on this important fact. There are things that God is going to personally make your conviction. And for whatever reason, God has spoken to your heart and you decided, you know what, I can't do this in my life, even though the Bible doesn't say it's wrong necessarily. I know if I get caught up in this, it's going to hinder my walk. And so therefore, I am not going to do that. And the Bible says, if you do that, you commit sin. Because you have made it in your heart. You've made it uh, a definite thing in your heart. You've said, okay. So the question that we have to ask, whatever we're doing, 
Am I doing what I do out of respect for God? Is what I'm doing, does it honor God? And the reason is, verse 7, Paul says, nobody lives to themselves. Think about that. Everything we do affects somebody else around us. And then the first part of verse 8, Paul said, whether we live, we live to the Lord, or whether we die, we die to the Lord. And then the last part of verse 8, Paul said, whether we live therefore or die, notice this, we are the Lord's. Amen. We are the Lord's. So what's Paul saying? It is God's judgment that matters. What does God think about that? And also understand, when we're thinking about how we treat other believers in the church, in Christ, when we consider how we approach them, are we treating other people like they belong to God? What a question to ask. It'll change our perspective. And then verse 9, Paul said this in Romans 14. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Christ is our Lord. He died to free us. From our sin. He died to free us from our judgment. And he alone is our judge. And I must confess, this took me a while in my Christian walk to realize this. Not everybody has to worship the way I worship. Yeah. Not everybody has to like the hymns I like. Or whatever it is. And there is room in the body of Christ for differences in the way we approach the traditions of our faith. Not the Word of God, but the traditions of our faith. So number one, accept one another. God accepted you. Number two, have your own convictions. Jesus Christ is your Lord. But the third thing that Paul exhorts us, don't judge other people. And here's the reason. Because we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Think about that one. Look at Romans 14. Look at verses 10 through 12. Paul asks a question, but why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord... Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us 
shall give an account of himself to God. Paul asked two direct questions in this passage. Number one, he says, why do you judge your brother? And why do you set it not your brother? Now, he says brother because they're in, they're in the church. They're in Christ. They are Christians. And Paul says, why are you doing that? Now, it's interesting. Um, in this context, when Paul says to judge, it's not just evaluating a lifestyle. It's more than that. The word in the Greek implies that you've come to a negative conclusion about how somebody lives their life. You've not just evaluated it, you have, but it implies you've already made a negative conclusion. I always kid Dick Harvey and I remind him I don't like him. And uh, we've, we've laughed about that through the years now. But the fact of the matter, when I first met him, I did not like him. And what's interesting, he told me, he said, you're not the first one who told me that. But again, <laughs> I judged him, right? I evaluated him, but it wasn't just that. I came to a negative conclusion. And Dick Harvey has been a very close friend through the years. He loves God. And so we have to be careful about that. And that's what this verse means in this context. It implies that you've come to a negative conclusion about way, the way somebody lives, and so you've made a judgment. But it's also, this judging in this context, will soon cause us to look down, or to set it not, if you will, on other believers. Now, folks, I, I realize, you know, uh, and Paul was writing to Christians, but I, unless I miss my guess, we've all fallen in this trap because we begin to look down on other believers because in our heart, somehow we've convinced ourselves that we are better or superior to other believers because I do things that they don't do. And they do things Routinely, that I won't do. So in my mind, I'm thinking, wow, you know, here I am. I'm up here and there, just a couple rungs below me. And that's what judgment always leads to. And either way, either, either way, we end up seeing ourselves just a little better than other believers in Christ. I read a moment ago, verses 10 through 12, and three different times in those verses, Paul reminds us that every one of us will stand individually before God. Notice in verse 10, I don't think I have the note for this, Jeremy, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In verse 11, he quotes from Isaiah 45, Every knee shall bow unto me, every tongue shall confess to God. And then in verse 10, he says, Every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. 
How many know that to be true? And here's what I have to realize. God is not going to judge me for how you live your life. He will never judge me for how someone else lives. When I stand before the Lord, whenever you stand before the Lord, he'll not ask us about Paul Wheeler. Now, he might ask me about Dick Harvey, but not Paul Wheeler, right? He's not going to ask me about them. And he won't ask me what anyone else did. He won't ask me how they lived their lives. Because it doesn't matter how they lived. When I stand before God, I'm going to answer for myself and nobody else. No one else. Here's a great principle. Since God is going to judge other believers, why do I need to get involved in that? What business do I have judging other believers? Personally, I'm trying to learn this. I believe that God knows other people better than I do. I believe that he loves them more than I do. And he cares for them more than I do. I believe he reads the thoughts and intents of the heart. Something I can never do. But God does. And here's what I'm learning. If I would spend more time worrying about myself, And my walk with God, I won't have time to point fingers at other people. I don't know about you, but I have enough trouble keeping my life in line with God, knowing I'll stand before Him. So for that matter, we think of these three exhortations. We're not much different than the church in Paul's day. We don't all come from the same background in any sense. And every time we gather together for worship or Bible study, we are joined by one unified purpose. And that's to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to realize Jesus is the great unifying factor. He's the common denominator. He's who we gather Around. And the cross of Jesus Christ is the great leveler of mankind. I've heard it said for years from different pastors, different preachers, the ground is level at the cross. There's no big eyes, there's no big use, there's no one better than anyone else. We are all the same before the cross. Doesn't matter whether you're rich or you're poor. Doesn't matter whether you're famous or you're unknown. And all those who fall in between, we're all the same at the cross. 
In 1871, archaeologists found an ancient warning sign written in Greek. And this sign, they realized, <coughs> excuse me, would have been on display in the Hebrew temple. And the sign said, <coughs> said this, No Gentile may enter beyond the dividing wall into the court around the holy place. Whoever is caught will be to blame for their subsequent death. I wonder if we ought to buy that kind of sign for our church. You can't cross this line. You're not welcome here. And that sign would have been posted on Solomon's porch, the Greek courtyard, where Greek people were allowed to come to worship. But aren't you glad for the Prince of Peace? Aren't you glad that Christ breaks down the walls of hostility? And as Christians, we worship the Prince of Peace. Now again, there are things worth fighting for. And it doesn't matter who you are. We need to welcome all people into our fellowship. But however, Christ loves us as we are. He died for sinners. But remember, he died that our lives will be changed. And if we are living simple lifestyles, and it doesn't matter what it is. I know we tend to major on certain ones, and they're wrong, no doubt about that. But how many know that all sin is wrong? And Christ came to redeem us from our sins. So yes, you can come as you are. I want to tell you folks, if we leave the same way we come, we're in trouble. Christ makes a difference in our life. And within the assembly of, of, of the church, we need to listen to what Paul is saying here. And put them into practice. And by the way, it's not just for other churches, it's for us. Let's lay aside that judgmental spirit whenever it's not based on the Word of God. So that being said, I think we need to make some distinctions and clarifications, okay? And I think there are at least five important principles that are linked to what Paul is teaching here in Romans 14. Number one, Christians often disagree with each other. Now, i got to tell you, when I came to Christ, that surprised me. I thought the church always agreed on everything. But I learned quickly that's not true. That's not true. In fact, if you've been saved for any length of time, you realize that's a given fact. We don't always agree on everything. Now, I found out through the years... 
when I have a disagreement with somebody, I realize we've got a lot of people in our church that are wrong. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> but that's only my opinion. They would say the same thing about me. And I don't know for sure, but I would guess that a lot of new Christians come into the church and, and their mindset is telling me, wow, I have found paradise on earth where everybody always agrees with everyone else and we're all one big happy family all the time. How many knows in that long that, bur- that bubble bursts? Now, here's what we have to realize. We are sinners saved by grace. All of us. And we are just normal people. And with a range of opinions. And we're joined together by our unity in Christ. And here's some things that Conservative evangelicals debate about. Is it okay to go to movies? Well, I'm going to say it depends on what kind of movie it is. I don't remember the last time I went to a movie. I think it might have been the time when I let Jeremy talk me in and go see the Santa Claus movie. And uh, we don't have any younger people here tonight. They're all... But he didn't even believe in Santa Claus. But anyway, it was a comedy. And I went. But I would never go to an R-rated movie that had sexual things in it. So we debate about that. Here's one. (laughs) We debate about politics. I've learned that in the church, there's some people who don't vote the way I vote. And I think they're wrong, but they think I'm wrong. We argue about the ecumenical movement. Is it okay to borrow money? Should we go into debt? How should we raise our children? What about liberal churches? Is Christian psychology okay? We argue about worship style. We debate and argue about eschatology. What about school choice? Do we homeschool, public school, Christian school? How old is the earth? All of those things we debate about. I think we can make two observations, and that list could go on and on. First of all, some of the things that seem silly to us or to you, may be serious for others. 
If I passed out a list like that and had you to rate it, each one of them individually, do you think this is silly or do you think this is serious? I would say that none of the list would be the same. We wouldn't all agree on every one of them. So number one, Christians often disagree. Second of all, Disagreement is not always wrong, nor is it sinful. Now, I realize when I look at that principle there, I think all of us would have a difficult time with that, especially whenever we are strongly, have strong, a strong passion for a certain Secondary issue. It's tough. I realize that. And if we have a strong feeling about something, uh, we'll have a hard time accepting those who don't agree with us on that, again, secondary issue. And by the way, and we don't like to admit this, but there are some we don't care about our issue either way. It's a secondary issue. And by the way, I, I think a lot of times our disagreement comes from our cultural differences than biblical. Our cultural background. And our particular set of standards will tell more about our upbringing than about what God approves or disapproves. This is how we were raised. And that's how we make our preferences. And again, it's personal preferences. Sometimes we disagree with someone else because of a different temperament. Uh, a lot of things going there. But either way, the danger is if we automatically assume the worst about someone else. Now remember, we don't know their hearts. We don't know their intents. And remember, we're talking about secondary issues. So number one, there will be disagreement. Number two, it's not always wrong or simple. But number three, and here's the important one. We have to distinguish between primary issues and secondary issues. Amen. There are some things we've got to fight for. Things we must stand for. Now, a primary issue would be something that deals with biblical doctrine. What does the Bible say? A central doctrine of the Christian faith. So what would be in that category? What are some of the primary issues? One of them would be 
the inspiration of the Word of God. Folks, the words in our hands, the Word of God, was God breathed. It is inspired. That, my friend, is a primary issue. How many know that's being attacked in a lot of churches today? And as for us, as long as I'm pastor here, we're going to stand for the inspiration of God's Word. We're not going to back down. Another issue is the inerrancy of God's Word. That's the hill I'm going to stand on. God's Word in the original text was without error. Another primary issue is the deity of Jesus Christ. He is God. Another primary issue is the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Another issue is the virgin birth. We cannot compromise that. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Another issue is the miracles he did. And you'd be surprised of how many theologians, and by the way, just because you have the name theologians doesn't mean you're a Christian. And especially the liberal theology tries to explain away the miracles of the Bible. One that comes to my mind is when Paul and Silas were in prison and the earthquake comes that night. I believe it was a miracle of God. But those who are liberal say, well, nah, not, probably not because that area was known for earthquakes. Well, so what? I think it was in God's timing. It was a miracle. And there are other ways they try to refute the miracles of God. Another primary issue is the death and bodily resurrection, Christ's ascension into heaven, and the reality, now hear me well, of a visible bodily return of Christ to the earth. Now, I don't know, sometimes, and Pam, you keep quiet. Sometimes it, it takes a while for something to register with me, to register with me, okay? Now I know that Christ has always existed. But he didn't come, become flesh until he became man in the incarnation. But I never gave this much thought, even though I know it was true. When he was crucified, Buried and raised again the third day. God didn't just raise his spirit or his soul. Guess what he raised? His body. So the one who had been spirit immaterial from eternity past. Now is raised a physical, a physical body. Certainly different. But also when he ascended to heaven. Guess what he ascended with? His body. Now think about that. But also understand, when he comes back, it's not going to be some spirit floating in the air. When he returns, it'll be personal, a visible body, 
when he comes back to earth. Primary issues we're talking about here. Other primary issues involve salvation by grace through faith. There's no other way to be saved. By the grace of God only, through faith in Christ. Another issue that we stand on, John 14, verse 6. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ is not a way. He is the way. The only way. Another primary issue is the importance of the church as a body of Christ. Folks, we are the body of Christ. Amen. Another primary issue is the truth of eternal life with Christ. God's word is clear on that. Another primary issue is the resurrection from the dead. Another primary issue are the reality of heaven and hell. And my friend, it's as sure as there's a heaven, there's a hell. We will not move from those. We don't have time tonight to list them all, but there are other fundamental doctrines. But I will say, there are things that deal with basic sexual morality that we have to uphold. And I hope you know what they are. And these things are primary. They're primary because they describe the central defining truths of our Christian faith. And we cannot move from them. And I don't care how loud or how long the world cries those lies. We must never give in to that. We have to hold these primary issues. And I want to say, those who deny the primary issues, those who deny the primary things, put themselves outside the body of Christ. When Nate gets back, they're coming back from vacation today from a short relaxation after the trip and the camp out and all. I mean, the hike through Yellowstone Park. he got a lot of stories to tell you. What was the name of that little pond? That little Mr. Bubbles, right? And this is in Yellowstone Park. It's not governed by the park. It's kind of deep in the wilderness. But it's known. They, they know where it's at. And uh, I asked him what was your favorite part. He said, that was it. And he said, Papa, all that wasn't really a pond, but that wide space in the, in the, so it was fed on one side by hot springs. On the other side, it was fed by the water coming off the mountains from the snow melting. And he said, the strange thing is, and they swam in it, he said, that water never mixed. It never mixed. 
And so you could literally find a place to stand, and your left side would be 30 degrees colder than your right side. It never mixed. And folks, I want you to realize there are doctrines from the Word of God that will never mix with what the world teaches. They're not compatible. And we must take a stand. And whenever we discuss these issues, there is no room for compromise. Don't let Satan tell you, well, maybe they've got something here. I mean, yeah, Jesus loves everybody. That's what I'm going to tell you. Jesus welcomed everybody. Sure he did. (laughs) But his call was to repent, to turn away from their sins. And so whenever we talk about the virgin birth, either you believe in it or you don't. There's no middle ground. (laughs) If you don't believe in it, You've denied the clear teaching of the Word of God. And my friend, that involves our whole view of what God's Word is all about. It also ultimately caused us to question what our belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And we must insist on these primary truths. But I want to tell you right now, when you do, the world is going to hate you. They're going to call you a bigot. They're going to say you're intolerant for taking that stand. And I can understand the world saying that. And I want to be careful how I say this, but there are some so-called churches who say that. Folks, we've got to stay true to the Word of God. Now, that doesn't give us an excuse to be rude. We certainly ought to be kind. But, folks, our convictions... They have to be rock solid. They have to be rock solid. Because in the end, there can be no fellowship with those who deny these fundamental truths. The fellow's name was Edward Cornell. At one time, he served as the president of Full Theological Seminary. He's in heaven now. But here's what he said. It is better to divide over the truth than to unite around error. Good words. Let's stand together. So those are the primary issues. Next week we'll talk about and address the non-essential issues. But know this, folks. God loves you tonight. He died for your sins. And Wayne, you're right. He's good. 
all the time. It'll never change. But there are some primary issues that we cannot waver on. And I would challenge all of us tonight, be rock solid in your conviction. Know what you believe and know why you believe. And as Peter said, always be ready to give an answer. Always. Always be ready to give an answer. How many are glad you're saved tonight? Amen. Christ has made a difference in your life. Don't forget, a lot of things coming up. We've got Wednesday night Bible study. Also a focus program on Wednesday as well. Uh, Also coming up August the 3rd. Is that right, Jeremy? What's going on? Anything we need to do? Okay, we're going to pass out anything? Okay, we need help in that? How many? How many people? Amen, all we can get. I thought you might answer that, all right? So don't forget about that. Also, uh, don't forget August 8th, is a, there's an issue on the, on the ballot in Ohio. It's the only issue. Get out and vote. Uh, strangely, I got a phone call today, a survey about that. And uh, I learned some more things that's going on behind the scenes. Uh, but their question was, is, is this going to make you more likely to vote for it or less likely to vote for it? And I said, ma'am, I've already made my mind up. I'm going to vote for it. It protects us as Christians and keeps uh, other groups from making their money and trying to change our Constitution in Ohio uh, that would allow abortion and things like that uh, up to uh, birth, but also would allow, and hear me well, Schools to mandate transgender teaching in schools. So, folks, we've got a lot to vote for here in that one issue. So go vote and make sure you vote according to God's word. Now, let's see anything else. Oh, don't forget the potluck uh, fellowship the last Sunday of this month, right after service. Uh, on that morning worship, you're all invited to come part of that. There is a sign-up sheet in the foyer that Diane Coyle said this morning. Uh, if you don't know what you're going to bring, just put a question mark. But do not bring a question mark. Okay? Uh, yes? Oh, I apologize. Thank you, Alan, for listening. The last Sunday of August, okay, is the Potluck Fellowship. Now, I heard Dick ask somebody a question. Does Potluck mean you hope there's, you got luck in something in a pot? I don't know. But anyway, we're going to look, looking for a time of fellowship. Folks, I do hope you have a great week. Thank you so much for loving God and loving His Word. And I pray that God would give us the grace and the strength to stand firm on things that are vital, that cannot change. Brother Rick, dismiss in prayer, please.